0: Hello and welcome to Chick Chickflix. I'm Mackenzie Chapman,
1: and I'm Bridget Hovell. And in this episode of Chickflix, we're talking about um, <laughs> we're talking about two movies about outsiders and investigations: um, The Wailing and The Wicker Man.
0: Uh, but first, let's catch up. What are you into,
1: um, Mackenzie? I am, as has been established in previous episodes of the podcast, highly highly literate. Can um, <laughs> <Ken> read. Um, <laughs> And I'm reading two books right now, or I just read, finished one. I'm in the middle of the other. Um, the first is How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Um, I had kind of seen this book around for the past year. It has this really striking floral pattern on the cover. Um, this book is like the farthest thing possible from a how-to how to book. It's super academic. Jenny O'Dell is a professor and artist who lives uh, in the Stanford area in California. And the book is really not about like, I I had avoided the book for a while because I thought it was going to be like a diatribe against using your phone a lot, you know, or like, oh, this is going to mm-hmm. make me feel bad yeah. about like going on Instagram. But what mm-hmm. it's really about is just like how to pay, how to like spend more time paying attention to things that matter and things that will mm-hmm. enrich us rather than social media that is flooded with ads to basically control our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like Jenny O'Dell, I don't think she's anti-social media. She's on social media. I think what she's really interested in is like how we could be better served by kind of investigating and paying more attention to other things um, Mm -hmm. such as our surroundings and other people. Mm -hmm. It's so good, but it is very dense and very like academic. Um, The other book is she said by Megan Tui and Jodi Cantor, and it's their retelling of their investigation into Harvey Weinstein in 2017. Um, I got this book on the Libby app. And at first I was like, I don't really know if I'm inter- that interested in reading this. And it also, like, the very first page was, like, women now were CEOs of more than five big companies. Women had more power than ever. And <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, not this. But it uh, got, gets really exciting, and it is a really interesting story about journalism and, how like, all of the different hoops they had to jump through in order to protect their sources and make the Mm -hmm. story as like bulletproof as possible. And it reads almost like a thriller for most of the book. Oh, Uh, and even if you like, if you're familiar with the story and with Mm -hmm. the Harvey Weinstein allegations, um, it's still worth a read. A lot of um, like pretty horrific details that I don't think got a lot of attention before, especially about non-famous people who accused Harvey Weinstein just really briefly to kind of like, summarize one of those there was this young woman who was his assistant in the 90s and she was sexually assaulted by him quit and then uh tried to charge him with sexual assault she ended up um, getting a settlement from his company for a few million dollars that she donated to a charity but in order to get the money she had to sign such a restrictive non-disclosure agreement that she never even years later had told her husband that she even worked for Harvey Weinstein. Wow. So there's a scene in the book where one of the reporters shows up at her house to speak to her and her husband is home. She isn't. Mm-hmm. And the reporter is like, I'm here to talk to your wife about like, um, her time working for the Weinstein company. And her husband is like, that sounds fake. Like I've never <laughs> heard any, can you imagine though, being so yeah. frightened of reprisal that you don't even oh tell your husband
0: God.
1: anyway, That's really so good. Scary. And then, uh, the third thing I'm into, I guess we'll talk about together, which is, Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple. Wow, I just feel like I talked so much. I'm going <laughs> to, like, lower my body, my heart rate while you speak.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, it's just really good. Like, every song is good. There's no, like, mm-hmm. skippable songs, I feel like. And it's
1: so unusual. It's like mm-hmm. nothing else I've ever listened to.
0: Yeah, for sure. It, mm-hmm. She, I feel like all of her stuff is so unique in that um, way. Yeah. And it, like, combines, like... Like, obviously, like, this, it's, like, a, it's such a unique sound because it's, like, nostalgic for, like, obviously, like, past albums that were popular when we Mm -hmm. were a little younger and, like, but also it feels so, like, current, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, like. Yeah. My favorite song is Under the Table, uh,
1: which I think the refrain is something like, you kick me under the table all you want, I won't shut up. Uh, (laughs) She's just, she's such a good, like, she's so good at wordplay and Mm -hmm. her lyrics are so unusual and like rhythmic like almost like rap a little i know it's dorky
0: to say <laughs> i get it no yeah. i get it it's like yeah i i do i need to listen to it i've listened to it twice but i need to like listen to it more to find a favorite song i feel mm-hmm. like but i just yeah i, I really like it it really, made me happy yeah really really good
1: it. what nice. else are you into Mackenzie?
0: um So I watched last week all of Ugly Delicious on Netflix. And um, it's a docuseries uh, by David Chang, um, who is the creator of Momofuku. um, And now he owns restaurants like all over the world. And Mm -hmm. I... Had tried to watch it like a like a long time ago, and I watched the first episode, and he kind of came off as an asshole, so I didn't like it. But then last week, obviously, we're in quarantine, and I just wanted to like fulfill my food travel wishes Mm -hmm. through the TV, and this was hitting that spot. And he actually grew on me a lot, and I really like it, David Chang now, and I like i said it was like just watching beautiful food in beautiful places even though it says ugly (laughs) that's so funny that i said that (laughs) but it is it's like i just want to eat it all and go to all the places we have a houston episode yeah um i was thinking of you when i watched that but like yeah i just miss going out to restaurants so much i know but it was so good and it's so good to binge because I kind of like felt like I could watch it and have other stuff do other stuff too yeah for sure and then I also can read <laughs> oh, oh all right <laughs> <laughs> and I read a collection of short stories by Leslie Arima called what it means when a man falls from the sky and um, it's just it. every story is like really well written I would say um, like there are like some that are, like, ghosty stories, <laughs> some that are sci-fi, mm-hmm. like, f- some are folktale, there's, like, the, uh, like, some are n- none of that. <laughs> um, and the... They all, like, really get into... They, like, dig really deep in such a short amount of time, and it's really impressive, and they, like... One is about a woman, or I guess this world where all the women craft their babies out of something for a year, and they live as that craft for a year hmm. before they like are manifested into a human baby, and so uh, she, the Lubain character in that one crafts a baby out of hair and it like goes wrong mm. horribly wrong and then the title piece is about uh what it means when a man falls from the sky is about uh this futuristic society where they discover a formula that is sort of like unlocks different powers like the power to fly and um the power to like take on other people's trauma and remove it from them and uh yeah i just highly recommend it it's a very quick read and they're all very worthwhile stories so
1: i definitely want to read it sounds great
0: yeah my third thing was fiona apple (laughs) the first
1: the last thing all right let's jump into it Why are you troubled, Jesus asked, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Jong-gu is a police officer in a sleepy Korean village that is rocked by a series of nasty murders. The murderers become covered with rashes and turn suddenly violent, killing their families, much like zombies. Jong-gu and the other villagers blame a mysterious Japanese man who lives in the forest. The stranger is connected to all of the murders in some way. Janggu is warned to stay away from him by a mysterious woman dressed in white that only he can see. When Jonggu's daughter Hyojin becomes afflicted with the zombie-like disease, Janggu rest- races to cure her. First, seeking the help of a shaman, and then attempting to kill the Japanese stranger with a group of villagers. His efforts fail, and Hyojin becomes more ill and deranged. Uh, this was our first time
0: for both of us watching this movie. Yes. I had seen The Chaser by Na Hong Jin like six or seven years ago, and I really liked it. But now I want to rewatch it because
1: <laughs> yeah, I want to watch his other stuff too. This was yeah. so good, yeah, um, incredible. <laughs> I just feel like Korean cinema is on another level right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it I was saying, commenting while watching this yesterday that it's so weird to watch. Um, like a horror movie that is afforded this level of thought, production mm-hmm. value, character, you know. Um, and this movie was like a critical and commercial, like just a total success. Like it beat, I think, mm-hmm. Captain America or something at the box office. You know, it was just beloved mm-hmm. by people when it came out. Um, and it's funny comparatively that like a lot of horror movies in America are like made, are known for being made super cheaply. You know, like they're like, mm-hmm. it's the cheapest movie you can make is a horror movie yeah. and you can hopefully like surpass your budget, um, at the box office. But this was just on every level, like so beautiful and well thought out.
0: Yeah. And didn't it, I mean, it, did it have the same cinematographer as, mm-hmm. uh, Parasite? Yes. He worked on,
1: uh, his name is Kyung Kyungpoe Hong, Hong and he also worked on Parasite, Snowpiercer and Burning.
0: Oh, Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That totally makes sense that he worked on pruning because it's like it there is such like lovely shots of the countryside and it's just it's like a gorgeous movie to look at even though there's like so much gross things.
1: It is. Too. Oh my gosh. Um my favorite shot was um so as I mentioned in the description there's like this mysterious um woman who becomes involved with the plot and is perhaps a spirit um There's a scene where Zhang Gu confronts her and they're speaking um, with like a a pretty sizable distance between them. And Mm -hmm. she is pictured half in, half out of the shadows. And just Mm -hmm. that it's such a lovely, lovely, like the way it's composed is Mm -hmm. so strange and unexpected. I think Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. like an American film would have put it in your face a bit more, but more tension is afforded all the interactions like that.
0: For sure. And there's like a lot of attention paid to like light and darkness in that way too. Mm -hmm. In that same shot and stuff. So, Mm
1: -hmm. lots of rain. (sighs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, this movie, I think uh, it's really long. It's almost three hours long. (laughs) It was long. (laughs) Yeah. I was like parched at the end. I was like, Yeah. (laughs) Well, I know. And it just ramps up too. And it kind Mm -hmm. of starts off like a buddy cop comedy. There's a lot of humor at the beginning of the film. Mm. And then it's this investigation. And then by the end of the movie, it has gone, uh, leaned fully into the supernatural. Um, Mm. so the, the Japanese stranger who lives in the woods is kind of suspected to be the cause of all of these mysterious murders and illnesses, um, in the village. And, he, some of the the villagers claim to see him hunting in the woods with red glowing eyes, eating animals. He um, might have raped one of the murder victims um, before she went insane. Um, and I think the film does a, a really good job at keeping uh, a lot of ambiguity surrounding the supernatural until the latter half of the movie.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so too. I think, like, uh, w- as we were watching the beginning credits, it said, like, FX supervisor or whatever. And I was like, okay, we're going to, like, get into some shit. But you don't, the effects are, like, super mm-hmm. subtle and just used to, like, enhance the uh, stuff or, like, the crows yeah, whatever. You know, like... I So I really respected that because I think that if it was, I I don't know, it was like perfectly done, I think, Mm because sometimes it could get a little too much, especially in American cinema, I feel like.
1: Yeah. And so that it, it made the instances of gore pack so much more of a punch. There's a scene where a character vomits and it's, I think, the worst vomiting I've ever seen on film. Like, oh yeah just,
0: it's horrible because yeah. it's so long it's long Cute. it's
1: violent it's like the kind of vomit that goes through your nose as well oh, we've all god. been there oh god <laughs> I have not been there thank oh god. thank <laughs> god thank god girl um, uh, so also by watching this and then uh, watching the wicker man as well I was thinking about how um, a lot so many books TV shows and movies have cops as their main characters like a disproportionate mm. amount of Media is about cops. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you'd think that like every man in America was a cop. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) and I think that's because in a narrative, if you're a cop, you're a man, and you also have like kind of like a superpower. Even if you're a regular Mm -hmm. man, your superpower is that you kind of kind of do whatever you want, and you're outside the law, so you can really move a plot forward and Mm -hmm. not get in trouble or be hung up on other things that an ordinary person might. But as the movie progresses, you see him more and more in civilian Mm -hmm. clothes and not in his police uniform. Um, and he kind of has a refrain of saying to his daughter, like everything's going to be okay. Daddy's Mm -hmm. a policeman. And I think it's
0: the last, one of the last things said in the movie uh, as He says, yeah, he's Um, like saying like, daddy, will take care of it or something like that. Yeah. Uh
1: huh. And I think it, it, it shows that like he loses control of the narrative, even though he is a cop, he eventually is just a man struggling to protect his family. Yeah.
0: And I also think, I mean, I that's like a really good insight. That. I feel like the noticing mm. the cop thing and the civilian closing was really mm. cool. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel like the movie is also a lot about like being a disappointment as a father.
1: Maybe we could tie it into uh, the review in Vulture by uh, Jada Young uh, says points out that jung uh, Junggu is like constantly emasculated by the woman the women in his household um and he you know he's like kind of like this sloppy slovenly slovenly dude mm-hmm. who lives with his mother in law his daughter, he's surrounded by women, he has to have sex in his car uh you know, he's kind of like ragged on by his boss mm-hmm. all the time. so I think uh the other thing about like cops and, and detectives in movies too um the writer Alice Bolin Uh, kind of put forth this theory in an essay and then a book a couple of years ago called uh, The Dead Girl Show. And her point is about movies and TV shows like True Detective and Twin Peaks, where a male police officer investigates the death or disappearance of a young girl. She, to summarize it like really briefly, she basically says that the investigation is never really about the girl. It's always about the man, like uncovering his demons or whatever. And I think there's a little bit of this, that in both of these movies too, you know, Uh, Hyojin is not even though terrible things are happening to her she's not like the main character and
0: like the even at the end it's the the spirit tells Mm -hmm. uh, Janggu that the reason his daughter is going through all this stuff is because he's the one that sinned so it's like Mm -hmm. I don't know
1: Again, back on him. Yeah. Um, so this movie had me, since there's so much uh, suspicion directed at the Japanese man in the the forest. Uh, I w- am kind of ignorant of Korean and Japanese history um, up until a point, you know, um, and was kind of waiting for there to be. Yeah, So I didn't. I didn't know a lot about. Yeah. Uh, the history of uh, Japanese colonization of Korea. Um, The writer Aja Romano in Vox um, writes that Korea and Japan share centuries of historic distrust and ongoing political tensions, as well as deep resentment over the Japanese colonization of Korea in the early 20th century. And it's still controversial practice of forcing many Korean citizens into sex slavery slavery as uh, comfort women. In recent years, major tensions have flared over a chain of disputed islands in the South China Sea, um, and both Korea and Japan are known for their xenophobic tendencies, particularly with regard to each other. So that's something I didn't really know anything about, mm-hmm. but um, they do refer to the Japanese man as the Jap throughout mm-hmm. the film. And I was like, ooh, is there going to be some sort of like commentary or comeuppance for speaking about him like mm-hmm. this? But I think it plays directly into what the point they're making about uh like othering people
0: right yeah and it's weird that um the director said that it was not about xenophobia right Mm -hmm. and then but he was like but it is about not being able to communicate with people and i was like they're like connected you know like if you speak a different language than uh, someone else like that they are not (laughs) you know
1: for sure for sure
0: And in Um, that same article uh, in Vox, she says, um, if the wailing is a kind of Old Testament fable, then it may be less about Job's personal tragedy and more about the Tower of Babel, a chaos ordered by the divine to test the metal of men. And it's, I guess, it, it does feel like, like the plot points in this are so... Crazy, and like you never know what is go- <laughs> like who is bad and who is good, is just like so confusing. And there, I mean, it's supposed to be that way, it's an ambiguous movie. But like, I, um, when the first, when they first got to the Japanese man's house and were looking at all those photos of the dead people, I was like, oh, is it really gonna be that easy? Like, we're gonna just blame this. Japanese mm-hmm. man, and that'll be it. I was like, is it going to be as simple as just, like, blaming the other person, yeah. the outsider? And I, I was very wrong. <laughs> it was just, mm-hmm. like, who? I, I mean, not wrong, but just, like...
1: It just is so many twists. Yes. Um, and I think you made a really good point yesterday that this movie respects its audience and doesn't dumb down. It's not trying to, like... Have help you predict what's happening next. It's not trying to keep, like, let you catch up on plot points. It's really like you have to make kind of like your gut first impression of good and bad. Um, Don Keatley in Horror Homeroom writes about the film's ambiguity. Um, so this is a. Uh, obviously has spoilers in it. She says the wailing moves towards suggesting the omnipresence of supernatural forces, good and evil, coursing through the villagers' lives, shaping their fates. It also implicates the merely human. The woman, the mysterious spirit we were talking about, tells Zhanggu the reason his daughter is possessed is that her father has sinned. He suspected another. He tried to kill him and finally succeeded, she declared. jong indeed, went easily down the path of blaming the Japanese stranger for everything. Was his suspicion, suspicion of the outsider, the cause of everything? Was it that very m- mundane human suspicion of someone who is not us that unleash the powerful forces of disease, violence, and supernatural malevolence. It's a real possibility and makes a powerful point because Jonggu is such a human likable character. He's not bad. He even scoffs at the prejudice rumors about the Japanese man at first, but he gets drawn in. And we have to wonder if like the priest, what he sees in the Japanese man is only what he's already convinced he'd see. And that references at the end, I think the scariest scene in the whole movie that we're in the, um, the deacon, who is a character introduced, who's kind of fighting, the the demons with the other uh korean villagers Mm -hmm. confronts the japanese man in the woods yeah he's uh, in training to become a priest and he makes this kind of last stand and demands
0: to see if he's the devil yeah and it's the
1: scariest movie it's the scariest i thought scariest scene in the no i
0: would agree and i think like because not only is he like alone (laughs) but it's like definitively revealed that he is like the devil yes at that point at least yeah um and then in that same article by Don Keatley, uh, she says, everything at the end of the film is beautifully shaped to cast doubt on everything we think we might know. Um, in the end, the wailing makes faith and suspicion seem uncannily alike, leaving both characters and viewers alike paralyzed. Do they believe or mm-hmm. do they doubt? Either one seems to lead to destruction. And I think it's interesting because I think that... Um, in typical horror movies the audience like it assu- often does know more than the protagonist like um because we've seen mm-hmm. some of the villain or we have the perspective of the villain or something like that um and so we feel like the protagonist is acting foolishly and we're like no mm-hmm. don't go down the stairs don't go there don't yeah. like go into the woods alone we're just like screaming Mm -hmm. at the screen, like, please don't do that. We know it's going to lead to something horrible. But in this one, Mm -hmm. it's like we're just as confused and in the dark as the characters, like Janggu. Like, in the Uh end, when he's confronted with the female spirit, I was like, I don't know. know. Yeah,
1: I was like, I don't know. Or, or, you know, like, his family, they try uh, a shaman to rescue Mm -hmm. their daughter. They try, like, taking her to the hospital. Mm -hmm. They try, like, literally everything you could conceivably try, and all of their efforts kind of...
0: um, fail right you like feel that desperation Mm. and I think that's like a really that's like definitely a triumph of the film for sure
1: yeah and an interesting contrast uh, something you were talking about what the characters know and their perspectives Mm. with the wicker man kind of you know like Mm. knowing um, the machinations behind the scenes as to who is evil and who is not Mm -hmm. uh, is an interesting connection to the wicker man Mm -hmm. which is also about an outsider um, infiltrating a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a really, really good movie. All the performances were amazing. Mm-hmm. The actor who played Jungkook, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't know what to expect going into it. Mm-hmm. But I, something else I really enjoy about the Korean cinema that I've watched, particularly like Bong Joon-ho mm-hmm. or pa- Park Chan-wook, is their melding of genres, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of being able to deftly combine mm-hmm different tones in Mm -hmm. one film oh yeah Yeah, it's it's very funny yeah it's very it's fast-paced it's thrilling it's scary Mm -hmm. it's
0: not pin pigeonholed at all yeah it's like a family drama too sort of it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's like super good and the the i it is so long but i can't think of what to cut you know, like usually when I'm com- like complain about a movie being too long, I'm like they yeah. they could have got rid of that whole middle section or whatever. Yeah, like, Wolf of Wall Street. Anyway, mm. this movie, yeah, I was like, keep it all. <laughs> you know, keep it all. There was keep like I I thought like or an aspect of the movie that I really liked was how um, skillfully they would cut between the different characters or uh mm-hmm. like situations yeah. so there's this part where it cuts between the Korean shaman the Japanese shaman mm. and uh kind of like I would put another cut in there would be um of the daughter even though she's technically with the Korean shaman I feel like yeah. there are like three separate sure. things happening mm. and the and it's really fast paced and it's insane and that feels like the point where the movie takes a turn and to the absolutely like bonkers craziness Mm -hmm. that it is but the ramp up just in a few minutes to that part where they're cutting doing all that cutting is like very steady there's like i think this like there's like a drum beat happening it was just like yeah it was subtle enough that it wasn't like oh we're we're like we want you to feel this way but it was very effective in making you feel that way
1: this is a loud movie too Mm -hmm. this movie really it does sound like the manifestation of a whale you know Mm -hmm. a a very apt title (laughs) yeah uh and especially in that scene Mm -hmm.
0: gosh yeah um
1: this is Ari astor's favorite horror movie of the past 10 years apparently
0: wow okay Mm -hmm. i feel like we'll probably talk about him again (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of annoying. <laughs> talk about the Wicker Man. <laughs> do you want to get into one-star reviews? Sure. I'll- I thought of, we should call these one-star, one-star reviews. Okay, as in that they are one-star reviews that we hate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one-star, one-star reviews. Yeah. <laughs> New segment title.
0: <laughs> what do you? Want? Which one do you want to read? I can read the first one. Okay.
1: I really don't get the love for this terrible movie. How on earth this got above a four is beyond me. Two cops screaming at each other and one getting caught having sex by his daughter. I have no idea why comedy isn't listed under this movie because it is certainly not horror.
0: Horror and comedy often go hand in hand. Like, shut up. (laughs) Also, so this is the second one. I'd sum this review up by saying that it was clearly trying to just imitate a, trash, a trashy U.S. zombie flick, but in doing so, just came across as ridiculous and unmemorable. This is the first Korean horror flick I've seen that was, in my opinion, a complete waste of time. Awful. This person's this just insane. Did not finish the movie. Uh, yeah, that's like a, you can a trashy tell. zombie <laughs> flick. Not
1: at all. Yeah, no. Not at all. No, not at all. Really. Only in appearance does it even, like, reference zombies. Yeah. It does not have any sort of zombie elements beyond that. Yeah. Mackenzie, I'm going to rate this a
0: 9. Wow. Okay. Oh, man. Ah.
1: I'll rate it and
0: I'll rate it a 9, too.
1: Let's do it. Nice. You know, it was it was really good. Yeah. I don't think I would have could have thought of anything I'd want to change. I think it's something I'll be thinking about a lot more, mm-hmm. and I already kind of want to rewatch to see if I yeah, understand it better. Definitely,
0: it is definitely a good movie to talk about and like go back to and find other little mm-hmm. gems waiting for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our next movie is. The Wicker Man from 1973, not the Nick Cage version. <laughs> <laughs> Which I want to talk about. Okay, I want to watch it too, but yeah. you should. Uh, Police Sergeant Neil Howie is called to Summer Isle to investigate the dispe- disappearance of a young girl named Rowan Morrison. Summer Isle, an island off the coast of Scotland, is populated by a group of pagans who worship old Celtic gods and ruled by lord summer isle the grandson of a scientist who founded the community as howie searches for rowan the island villagers prepare for their May Day celebration and obstruct howie's investigation howie who is a devout christian and prude <laughs> clashes with the villagers who tease him for his uptight unyielding nature he is a prude so, he is such a prude he is such a prude. honestly refreshing that the virgin is a man
1: yeah, the virgin I think this is a man. <laughs> a good meme would be, you know, the forty-year-old virgin movie poster with Neil Carell's face uh, on it. Yeah, that would be good. Just his face instead. Yeah. This movie has so much um, comedy in it as well, uh, uh, because it's such a fish out of water yeah. <laughs> story. Uh, I think the best instance of that is uh, the policeman Neil Howie spends a night in the inn on the island and they've already introduced this super hot and keepers daughter named willow and she basically sings to him through the wall naked she's naked in her room Mm -hmm. and like dancing Mm -hmm. and he is so horny he is like rolling around sweating gasping like he's just hearing her voice and she's like singing a sexy song but it's not that sexy (laughs) and he's going insane (laughs)
0: I I was thinking, like, there must be a, it must be like a magic song or something, right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if you've never had sex in your 40, maybe any sexy song is a magic song. I guess.
0: Yeah, maybe you're right. Although, if the song is magic, then maybe it's all magic, and maybe the crops will be better the next
1: year. I Yeah, that is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> so, this movie is you know, over 50 years old. Uh, so I don't think we're, we're ruining anything, but uh, the movie ends with Neil Howie, the policeman getting sacrificed to improve the islands uh, crop yield. Um, and he's put in a gigantic wicker man with a bunch of animals and burned to death. Um, and I think I, the first time I watched it, the one kind of, Problem I had with the movie is I wasn't sure how I was I supposed to feel at the end, right? You know, like are you t- are you ultimately at the end supposed to side with him because he's right the whole time that something is terrible happening with the island, mm-hmm. or is he, or is it like comeuppance for him being such a prude and so and such a dick, and, yeah, and such a dick and so unyielding <laughs> in his like kind of prejudices against
0: the islanders. Yeah, I I don't know either, but I feel like. I mean I guess when you think about it it's like of course I should feel bad that anyone is dying. So mm-hmm. I guess I feel bad that he's dying. I guess I feel like the the bad people are both him and Lord Summer Isle. And yeah. the, all the villagers are okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're being manipulated. It's the struggle between the police and the state basically. Oh yeah, you know. wow.
0: And they're both bad.
1: <laughs> yeah the normal people are just trying to get by Mm -hmm. and make their delicious May Day celebration foods. Mm -hmm. Um, And sex. uh, We read this really great uh, piece in the British Film Institute uh, called Long Arm of the Lore, of the Lore, Robin Hardy on the Wicker Man by Vic Pratt, which is kind of like a retrospective on the film. Really, really interesting long article. And Vic Pratt writes, um, the wicker man was not a simplistic film, which depicted counterculture, free spirits as heroes and uptight authorities as fools. Lord summer isle trendily polo necked down with the kids, but still ultimately landowning gentry is out for his own ends. His propagation of pal- pagan belief, a handy tool for his control of the Island serfs. Pagans might have more fun, but will sacrificing Howie cause caused the crops to succeed or fail. It remains bleakly uncertain all we've learned perhaps is that nature cannot be controlled people can with religion a powerful means to that end don't trust anybody or believe in anything in fact it's all huge dark existential joke i think that's like my favorite take on the movie i agree because it does
0: especially after reading that thing it's like they really it was just like a joke like the like they were just like laughing the whole time they made this movie
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my gosh christopher lee helped kind of spearhead the movie mm-hmm. and he appears as Lord Summer Island. Mm-hmm. He is s- such a fun performer to watch. Yeah. And of course, you only think of Saruman. Yeah,
0: I, I me mean, too. Someone said that he would be most remembered as the Count, but I don't even know what that means. Oh, Dracula. He played Dracula. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think for people our age especially, he's Saruman. just Lord Saruman. Yeah. His voice is so deep and grumbly yeah. and <laughs> Just amazing. He's so uh, he's so much fun to watch, especially mm-hmm. in this movie too, because mm-hmm. he just exists to like torment um, Neil Howie, yeah. who is so hateable. Yeah, like, so hateable. My he at one point the police sergeant walks in on a class where these young girls are being taught to like revere the penis and celebrate its life giving properties, and he's like, "What is
0: this?" Yeah. <laughs> he uh, he just keeps he hates them because they're not Christian. Not necessarily because anything they do. It's just because they're not Christians, which is like, yeah. So and honestly,
1: he acts very unprofessional about the whole thing. Yeah, like he's not a good investigator.
0: Like I don't know if the laws in Scotland were different in like the seventies. Who knows? But it seems like bad. Seems like re-
1: religious persecution. Yeah, uh, to be harassed like this. Um, so Summer Isle as a place to live, I'd say pros are lots of really good looking candy and confectionaries. Oh yeah, you're right. A lot of, uh, they sing a lot. This is a musical, Mm -hmm. which Mackenzie didn't realize. Uh, I don't think I was
0: reading that the cast also did not know it was a musical (laughs) when they signed on. I was shocked. I, I like the opening credits are a song and I was like, all right, this is like, so 70s, let's do it. And then it kept happening. And, it, and <laughs> I was like, this is a musical. What? It was crazy.
1: It'd be funny if it was like, "Uh, the policeman was like, why is everyone singing? Yeah. You know, like if it like broke reality uh, for him. Uh, I There's a lot of really good songs. My favorite I is, I think it's the one at the beginning.
0: Yeah, it's, I think so too. Corn Rigs and Barley Rigs. I think that's my Barley. favorite too.
1: Yeah, I also liked the song that the horny um, innkeeper's daughter sings. Yeah, she gets very to strip naked and sing a song, and she has a really great dance mm-hmm. that she does naked. Mm-hmm. And we learned that the actress had two body doubles. That is not her butt. We see.
0: I I really like that too, and it reminded me of the current like Instagram trend to just like post a video of yourself dancing, like yeah. even if it's bad. I was like. I respect this woman for dancing like this and singing. She had a beautiful voice. I was into it. Yeah, and I'd say that the gender
1: dynamics of the island are a little dubious Mm -hmm. in that children revere the penis Mm -hmm. and not the vagina. Uh, Not to be gender essentialist about either of those body parts, Mm -hmm. but we also only see women running around naked. Mm -hmm. Um, But... It still seems like Willow, the innkeeper's daughter, has a lot of sway in the town. She is also like directly in cahoots with Lord Summer Isle mm-hmm. and one of the main townspeople to um kind of stick it to the detective at the end. Yeah.
0: It's hard to know that if like it's hard to know if the filmmakers were like L O L they revere the penis. Or like just did it that way, like f- because they have penis. Yeah, I th- I feel like I feel now after reading that thing. I feel like it had to be like they had to be aware of it and making it a joke, sort of, because there is a shot mm-hmm. where in that same like scene or sequence when um they're in the schoolhouse. Oh yeah. They cut to all the boys are outside the schoolhouse dancing around the maypole and like touching the maypole, and mm-hmm. as they. Uh, say the maple is a symbol of the... And all the girls say phallus. They cut to all the boys, like, groping the maple, <laughs> And I was like, they're making, like, a homoerotic joke right now, right? Like,
1: yeah. I think they were.
0: <laughs> the
1: If you can believe it, the 2006 remake with Nick Cage has even worse gender politics. It's That's not the exact same plot. I saw that movie before this one. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same plot, except... Nick Cage is also the father of the girl who's gone missing. It's his, like, ex who lives on the island, oh, wow. and she's like, uh, Rowan's mis- missing, like, come help me find her. So he investigates, and it's an all-woman island, and <gasps> they make honey, and it's that, that great scene oh, that people probably know where he says killing me you won't bring back your goddamn honey, and they're putting uh, bees on his face. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, it's revealed that basically the his ex fiancé um, has been like doing this for years like seducing <gasps> law enforcement and g- having kids with them well but he's not a virgin them. though yeah he's not a virgin so what's the point even yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a lot more nefarious like these evil women uh <laughs> okay yeah uh but it's it's a very fun it's it's like a very bad movie but mm-hmm. very fun to watch this movie was a little more knowing I think about it's mm-hmm. like silly scenes yeah uh, for sure. Mackenzie, would you rather live on Summer Isle or with the Midsummer cult?
0: At first, I said in my head Midsummer. But now I think I would rather live on Summer Isle because. It seems like they have all the modern things that I would want. Oh, true. And I, like, everyone has their own houses. and It sounds like normal living plus public sex plus of <laughs> sometimes a human <laughs> sacrifice. Like, plus yeah. like a, some pagan rituals that may or may not be strange. I don't know. Ooh. Costume parties, costume parties. That's fine too. The singing, don't like. I would hate that. Don't love singing. Yeah, singing would be hard. But I do like the music, though. I I just would not want to be part of it. Like it would be like my seventh birthday party when they tried at Chuck E. Cheese when they tried to get me to go on stage and I cried and
1: hid. <laughs> You'd be like the one villager who was like, "Please, I I
0: just don't, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. sing. Don't don't make me sing." Yeah. Uh, what about you? Where would you want?
1: Um, go? I think the Summer Isle as well for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. I think I'd I'd still enjoy the um modern amenities mm-hmm. and the pub. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like the fashion of the Midsummer Cult a lot. Mm-hmm. I like the setting a mm-hmm. lot, but ultimately, yeah, I wanna I wanna hang with the Summer Isle folk.
0: Um, Even, and I would say that the Midsummer Cult seemed more isolated than the Summer Isle Cult, and I think it's because oh, yeah. it's. You never actually know how they get to the cult in Midsummer because they drive, yeah. then they hike, and then they take drugs, and then they hike more, and it's like, who knows where they hiked to where while they were on drugs? Who knows? How does she get away? Like, you don't get away. There's no way. Yeah. But on Summer Isle, it feels like, like a policeman came there, so people know about it. So yeah, it feels more, sure. like, connected, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which is but less that scary. Means they also
1: have, they have no police force, which is kind of nice yeah yeah it is nice (laughs) no one's getting speeding tickets on summer isle i think this movie is also kind of an interesting relic of attitudes towards sex and like hippies and paganism uh you know it came in the early 70s there were a lot of censorship laws in british film that kind of had just been revoked Mm. um So it's interesting to watch it thinking about the historical context. Um, I'm trying to find what point this came at. There was a story in the BFI article about how uh, Robin Hardy, the director and Christopher Lee promoted the movie in the Bible belt in America. And they said that Christians loved it. They were like, (laughs) yes, (laughs) it's probably like how Christians loved the exorcist. Ultimately, like they're like, this reaffirms our, belief system you know that like demons are real um oh yeah it says that the christians loved it they said it was one of the only films they'd ever really seen that explains what resurrection is about too because he does get like martyred at the end as well um yeah and he
0: he very much wants to be resurrected not reincarnated there's a very like they do talk about like the difference between the two yeah stuff he goes down swinging he goes down yeah
1: talking about jesus not giving up it, still a virgin yeah so this is also um an entry in what has come to be known as folk horror that um movies kind of defined as movies drawing on paganism and folklore set in a rural area themes of isolation religion the power of nature and potential darkness over the rural landscape um so Midsummer, i think is also a folk horror movie and you can obviously see where ari aster got inspiration from this film even though i read an interview with him where he was like i tried not to be that inspired by wicker man
0: they're very different movies um (laughs) i literally thought to myself watching this i was like oh midsummer is a good reference point for me watching this wicker man movie because there's like the pictures of the may queen yeah there's exactly Shut up, Ariaster!
1: You're not so slick, Ariaster. <laughs> We've seen The Wicker Man now. You won't get anything
0: by us. <laughs>
1: oh, really great one-star reviews for this movie,
0: if you want to start. The first one-star review is, The Wicker Man is a shock picture for people who are shocked by partial nudity and constant terrible singing. I can't stress the constant singing enough there's barely five minutes in the film where someone isn't singing some awful new age hippie pagan song you know like as much as i said that i wouldn't like all the music was good like i would like listen to it for fun but i wouldn't want to like be roped into singing yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. through like maybe they're parts of my life maybe they're respectful of their fellow villagers who don't want to like if people were like playing that music at the bar and I could just listen to it and like enjoy my beer, I would be more than happy. I would be yeah. thrilled.
1: What if someone was like, okay, Mackenzie, it's your turn. I'd be
0: like, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs>
1: Sac- sacrifice me this year. Yeah.
0: The other one-star review is,
1: um, the Lord is Christopher Lee, pretending to be Peter O'Toole, their love goddess, Britt Eklund, lovely breasts, but cannot dance. <laughs> Uh, and their chief adversary, Edward Woodward, pretending to be a cop, but really an Inga- Ingmar Bergman pastor. There is also a dead rabbit, a swallowed frog, and possibly the most awful awful music score ever, undoubtedly influenced by old Lang Syne, as interpreted by a third rate Moroccan rock band for a bunch of German tourists. This person, when they just sat down to write this review, was like, I'm going to pull out no stops. Like, I'm going to write every reference I can.
0: Well, what would you rate this? Bridget? I'm going to give it. I'm gonna give it a five.
1: I enjoyed it. This Mm -hmm. is my like third time watching it because Tim really loves this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna give it a five with love. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. it. It's fun. It's a good Mm -hmm. movie to watch. It has real. um, It's left a real impact on horror. Obviously, Mm -hmm. what about you? I'm gonna
0: like, you know, I'm gonna rate it a six just because I don't know. I yeah. I like. I guess because I read about it after, and I was like, "These guys are just fucking around," and I'm like, "Okay, that I can put it up a star for that," you know? Like
1: that's so funny
0: um, because you know, I respect funny, good, fun projects between friends. You know, that's I <laughs> that's, we're all about that here. Yeah, so, and it was fun, good, good soundtrack, good performances, good costumes, good jokes. Just wacky. Mackenzie is
1: now committing to being the salmon of knowledge for Halloween. Yeah, I did. I am. Um... Ian can go as Christopher Lee's co- costume. <laughs> he wears at the end of the <laughs> He's film. the woman or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Couples costume. All right. Um, It would be really helpful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at chickflixpod and email us at chickflixpodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode is going to be a chicklet coming out on April 27th. We're talking about the new The Invisible
0: Man. Chick Flix is re- researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Groove Carlson for her music. Thanks for listening to Chick Flix.
1: Thank you, all you uh, corn rigs and barley rigs out there. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>